your hands, and we just love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats. If you could bring the word cloud up, I want to be able to remind everyone that you're in a Bible-believing church where unashamedly, where the word of God is communicated, because that's our theme, to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And where else do you find that good news except in the Bible? And all those other things about being multi-generational and missional and worship-cherishing uh, and blended, all of those things come together. I'll be glad to explain that in our new member seminar. Right now, if we could reverently attend to the public reading of God's and Aaron in inspired infallible word as it was given in the originals we're going to be looking at several passages if you uh, have the fourth point sheet there's some on the back or you can pick one up as you leave today uh, this particular message is built upon a word the word consider so the title of this message is to consider this and this and the implication is and this and this and this as well but we're going to be looking at luke chapter 12 uh, verses 24 and 27, then Hebrews 3, and then also in Hebrews 12, and also in James chapter 5. Notice how these words, these scriptures come together. So let us publicly uh, want to read them for you. Uh, in, in chapter 12, Jesus says, verse 24, consider, that's the key word, consider the ravens. Now I just have to stop and say he's not talking about the NFL team. And they're, uh, you know, yesterday or the last couple days, all of the uh, um, they're recruiting all the, the things. My, uh, I have some relatives that are interested in that stuff. But no, we're not considering those ravens. We're considering the birds. Okay, And I'm not talking about the Orioles either. Uh, I'm talking about just those things with wings that fly. Jesus said, consider the ravens, verse 24. Neither, uh, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds. If you go down just three more verses, he uses the word consider again. Jesus says, consider the lilies, the flowers, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He was not as beautiful. If you go to Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, he ends up saying to the believers there in chapter 3 at the beginning of his book, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, in other words, you Christians, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. If I take you to chapter 12, you're going to find another time where the author of Hebrews says, consider him. We're talking about Christ again. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And if you look to James chapter 5, as James is wrapping up his first writings in the New Testament, he says, behold, we consider those people blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen of the purposes of the Lord, how that the Lord is both compassionate and merciful. Did you see the word consider? I'm praying that you will be able to consider this message today as it's being delivered. Oh Lord, I pray that you will bless the word as it comes forth, enable us to be recipients, and as has been mentioned, to be more than hearers. May it transform our hearts 
And may it move us on to kingdom activity. In Jesus' name, amen. You've heard the phrase, take some time to smell the roses. Uh, I was reading a, um, uh, some poems about this. Uh, he says, the, uh, this guy Bernard Clive says, today just take time to smell the roses. Enjoy those little things about your life, your family and spouse and friends and even your job. Forget about the thorns, which are the pains and the problems that they cause you. He says, enjoy life. Now, he doesn't have the gospel message there, but he is talking about some flowers. Uh, he's talking about take some time to smell the roses. There's another poem here that I have about uh, some roses, some flowers, and uh, it's a little bit more detailed. Uh, and it, it is written by um, Marilyn Ferguson. Take time to smell the roses. Time moves along so fast. It could be that your turn is next. Tomorrow might be your last. Take time to look around you and see the loved ones See loved ones pass away. We do not know the future. It could be you today. Boy, it's so exciting so far. Take time to read the Bible. There's power in the light. You think you'll never forever, you'll live forever, but you might go tonight. Take time to fervent prayer. Lift up his name on high. Call out the name of Jesus, for you will surely die. Take time for sweet surrender. Seek out his mighty will. Today, while you are able, for soon... You will be still. Now, when I listened to a poem like this, it didn't make me all excited. I was wanting to, to, to have poems about flowers, like one that I learned when I was in high school. We, had, were on a, uh, we were at Bob Jones University, and I got this little note written by another person that was on the school bus that we were down for competition, all those extra details. But it was a, it was a poem about flowers, about tulips. So, um, so it says, tulips in the garden, tulips in the park, but the tulips I like best are your tulips in the dark. <laughs> I thought you would like that poem too. <laughs> Consider the flowers. Consider the birds. Consider Jesus. And then he tells us about what we should be considering to be valuable. The meaning of consider, by way of introduction, I just want to highlight the fact that what it does mean is to ponder. It means to be still enough to be able to meditate or reflect or even to observe. I asked the question and, and the fourth point, have you considered anything lately? What it does not mean is that you are so busy that you don't notice, that you are too myopic that you miss it, that you are too introspective to get the big picture. You don't even realize that there are roses or tulips or lilies or birds or bees. You're just so caught up in everything else, in the treadmill of life. So what does it mean to consider things? By way of thinking through it, I said maybe it's a walk in the park, a moment on the porch, some time at the beach in the chair. Sometimes it's on a stool on the boardwalk or a drive to the mountains, or if you just have a few minutes alone. Consider. Think about it. What it does not look like is when you are consumed by expectations and performance. When you are so agenda-driven that you can't turn to the right or to the left, you just got to keep go, 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 go. You're, you're constantly just seeing brokenness and all this kind of stuff, and you're distracted even by your own health. 
We don't have the ability to actually consider. The Bible talks about considering over 90 times, and there's special emphasis on consider this or consider this. And, and there's quite a few of those, more than 30 of them, I think, throughout Scripture. Solomon, though, had done a lot of consideration. If you had been Solomon, and, and he writes about what he thought about uh, in, in his last book. You know, he wrote the Song of Solomon when he was young. He wrote the book of Proverbs as a young man or as a middle-aged guy, depending on how I look at myself. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in that zone of Proverbs. Uh, but when he got to be an older guy, he ended up writing the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you look at chapter 1, verse 2, Ecclesiastes ends up bringing you this awareness right from the beginning. I think it's there. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. Everything is so empty. He had considered everything. And he starts out as an old man. He writes this book and he says, you may put your stock in everything, but it's empty. You can read about it in chapter 4, uh, verse 4 through 7. And again, you can see it up there. Again, I considered all the travail and every right thing that for this is a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of the spirit. He was basically saying is, look, I've really considered it. All the things that we do in this life. And he says, it feels like a waste. When you get all the way to chapter 12, you can see again, and I think it's verse 8, he summarizes it again. This is what the preacher, Koheleth, the author of, of uh, Ecclesiastes says, everything is so empty. Now, in order for, for that conclusion to be made, Solomon was somebody who thought. He was, he was considered one of the wisest people that have ever lived, and he, he, he considered all of these different things. When you, when you read, consider the ant, consider the, 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 um, the birds that fly, I mean, all these things, Solomon was constantly telling us about that. And why is it so important for us to consider things? It's because all of us know that things are broken. We live in a fallen world. Romans 7 ends up bringing up that reality where the apostle has become a Christian. He's writing to the church at Rome. And uh, when I look at that verse, it says, I see another thing going on inside of me. It's warring against my own thoughts, my mind. And it brings me into captivity. And the next verse tells it because his testimony is in verse 24. I'm just a wretched man. I need to be delivered. He says, when I consider my own life, I, it's a mess. It's a mess. First Kings chapter 19. Uh, when, when you look there, Elijah in the Old Testament, who was a mighty prophet. Uh, there wasn't many mightier than Elijah. My goodness. Elijah had just called down fire from, from uh, lightning from the top of Mount Carmel, God had answered. And in chapter 19, there he is. The government told him that he's going to be in trouble. The government came out and said, you're being canceled. We'd like to end your life. And look at what he says. He says, he went a day's journey into the wilderness to be alone. And he came and sat down under a tree. He requested to God that he might take him home. You know, Elijah ended up going home early on that chariot of fire, you know. But he wanted to go a little bit earlier. He was dealing with a broken world, and he was considering, this is tough. And it goes on to say, he said, it is enough. Take away my life, for, it's, for am I not better than my father's? He says, I, I've had it. I've considered my ways. Yes, I just won the battle against Baal and against the 450 prophets. But he says, that's enough. It's a struggle. 
I want to be able to give you three quick points that to lift up your levity rather than to leave you in the pits of despair. I want, to, by general revelation, I want to consider the plight of the created things. Then I want to, with special revelation, consider the plight of the perfect man. And then I want to consider some personal application, which is for all of us today. Uh, consider the plight of imperfect people like you and me. Now, if we go first to the general revelation, this is where the, the scripture tells us that if you open your eyes up and you're still enough, you're going to be able to see some amazing things. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows his handiwork. Day after day utters speech and night after night follows knowledge. And whether you're in Zimbabwe or whether you're in, in, in uh, coastal America, you're going to end up finding out that there is no speech nor language where people don't understand the order. That we don't, we're not God and that there's somebody out there that made, it, made some amazing things. Day after day, we all can be very confident that the sun will rise tomorrow and that the sun will set today. All of us can see that. You don't even have to be a scientist. You can know. He says, just consider the world around you. It's pretty amazing. Even in Romans chapter 1, verse 17... Uh, Romans chapter 1 where it ends up saying for the invisible things are already revealed and everybody knows and if you go to that next verse there it says God has shown it to us um, God has made known to mankind that God is out there but a lot of times we don't we're not still enough to consider it by way of just general revelation, the plight of the created things in this fallen world, I want to highlight the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees now, technically, I'm not going to get into all of those things, but whenever we say birds and bees, you know, back when we grew up, that meant the facts of life, right? Hey, you just look at people and you can tell them about the birds and the bees, how they reproduce, how they take care of things. Well, Jesus has, was actually talking in, in Luke chapter 12, and if you, if you follow along with it, you're going to find that this is a portion of scripture about anxiety. The disciples were in despair. And if I have Luke chapter 12 in front of me, in verse 22, uh, he says, Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, or about your body, what you're going to put on. Um, for your life is more than food, and, and your body is more than its covering. He says, verse 24, which is the text for today, Consider the ravens, those birds that are around us. They don't sow, they don't reap, neither do they have storehouses or barns, yet God takes care of them. That's what he wants you to realize. And then three verses later, uh, but he says, uh, I'm going to keep going and say verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can, can uh, add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you're not able to do this small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So then he says, consider this. Consider the flowers, the lilies, verse 27, how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. They don't have to do all this kind of work. And yet I tell you, even Solomon was not as beautiful as them. So verse 28, but if God clothes the grass which is in the field today and tomorrow it is thrown into the oven, how much more can he clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, he is, he is making the application in this particular text from general revelation that most of us are lacking faith. We don't even look around. Our missionary today started off his speech or his, his discussion in Sunday school by talking about raindrops. I found myself transported to, to Africa 
He talked about how, how hot and dry it is. And finally, when the storms come and those drops come down, he said, those drops come down and you can smell them. I think you were considering the raindrops. And I was just amazed. And then Nancy was saying, and it's just like four or five days later and the grass, the ground used to be brown, it's all green. And you just, wow, you consider the changes that take place. The animals that are moving about around us, they're within our radar. That's what Jesus said. Look at those birds, the ones that are nearby. For us, it might be consider the seagulls. Consider the sandpipers. Consider the, the eagles or the hawks or the birds that, that love to land on our roof here. Consider those uh, vultures. I've seen seven of them lined up on our roof one time. I tell you, it was quite the sight. When you consider those birds, what are you supposed to look at? He says they're not very smart. They don't do very good plans. They don't have a five-year plan. What, what do you know about the birds? Well, they seem to be okay. The reason we know about the birds is not because of what the birds do, but it's because of what God does to provide for the birds. When you consider those birds, he says, they don't do what, like people do. And that's what you need to notice. When you go to the flowers that are within our purview, Jesus was actually probably in a field with lilies nearby. If you were in Lewis in the last few weeks, you'd probably see tulips. He'd say, consider the tulips. God blesses them despite their inability to help themselves. When I was walking and in the height of all of the daffodils and all of the tulips, boy, it was colorful. And just a matter of a few weeks later, you walk by and you can see these stems and there's nothing left hanging on anymore. But you still can consider those flowers. Those flowers have a beauty, a fragrance. Even though they're short-lived like grass of the field that's here today and gone tomorrow, they are beautiful. In fact, the consideration is, is that you can't even get more beauty even if you have all the riches and all the wisdom as a human being. You can't look better or smell better than even those lilies. Have you ever considered that? When we try so hard to look a certain way, when we try to present ourselves almost as if we are fine. The world in which we live is broken. Nature is filled with God's glory, but it is also communicating to us that it is filled with God's wrath. As I mentioned before, Psalm 19, that you can look into the skies and the heavens, the constellations, and you can marvel. You can look into a microscope and you can see the details of how a cell holds together. Colossians chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him he, all things hold together. They consist. No matter where you look, you can see the fingerprints of God. And you should consider these things. But right now, Romans 8 tells us, that when we look around, we also see a little bit more. We see that the creation itself is groaning. See, when you see the birds and you see the bees and you see the flowers and the trees, when you see whatever else, there's always a concern that this world is not going to be here forever. It's just, we're just visiting here. 
There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God has already designed it. This world is going to pass away. And right now, it's pr the uh, whole creation is groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. It's waiting for the redemption that is coming. Our redemption. Beautiful. When you consider these things, it makes you just slow down for a moment. Now, the second point is consider the plight of the God-man in this imperfect world. When you go to the book of Hebrews, you can't miss it. He talks about all these great things in the Old Testament, but he says there's something better. And the better is Jesus. And so he says, fix your eyes on him. Consider Jesus. If you look at the text there in Hebrews 3.1, therefore, brothers, you share in this heavenly calling. You're planning to go to heaven too? He says, consider Jesus. Look at him. Gaze. Spend some time. What does he tell us about Jesus in chapter 3, verse 1? He says he's the apostle and high priest of our confession. So first he says, consider the journey from, from there to here. You remember those arrows that came up? Jesus just didn't beam me down from heaven. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Nine months of pregnancy after that conception. And then the birthing, they didn't have a, a maternity ward. It was over in Bethlehem out in the stalls. You just have to marvel. Consider the journey, how he left. The word apostle means sent one. Consider the one who was sent from heaven. You all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. He sent his son into this world. He's the apostle. He's the one that brings us the truth from heaven. The Bible says there in chapter 3, verse 1, consider him the, the apostle and the high priest. Now, what is the high priest? Well, a priest is a mediator, a go-between. The reason I'm not a priest is because you don't need a priest anymore, at least not an earthly priest. You don't need someone that's a father or a monsignor or whatever they call them uh, in, in the different hierarchies of the different denominations because the Bible says we have one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. When you consider Jesus, he is the epitome of a mediator because he is both God and he is fully man. He is in all points tempted like as we are. He knows what it's like. He knows what hunger is. He knows what being shamed about. He understands what having difficult parents are and he even understands what it means to have brothers and sisters. In all points, he was tempted like as we are and yet without sin. He's without sin being God who cannot sin. It is impossible for him to be against himself. He does all of his holy will and he always delights in doing what is lovely, just, pure, and honest, and of good report. Consider him who is the great high priest. Because we know what the great high priest came to do, to offer the final sacrifice, to be able to give the full atonement. And the Bible says he offered himself. Now, that's two things to consider about this infinite God-man in the fallen world. But if you go to chapter 12, it also says consider a little bit more about Jesus. Not just his journey and not just his calling, but look at his suffering. For chapter 12, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such praise, such applause. Is that what it says? Let me make sure. Consider, no, the next one, chapter 12. That's why you guys are still stuck at the other verse. Chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured such contradiction uh, of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. I mean, when you realize, consider the one who endured, that was verse 3. 
He endured from sinners such hostility against himself. You see, he, he was, uh, as Isaiah put it so well in chapter 53, he was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53. It's pretty amazing that if you go to Philippians chapter 2, the apostle explains it in verses 5 through 16. He says, have the same mindset that Jesus had, verse 6, who was being God, who in the form of God did not count equality with God, something that he had to hold on to, but he emptied himself. And this is where you get to see the suffering in the journey. By taking on the form of a servant, being made, born in the likeness of men, and being found in that human form, he then humbled himself and became obedient to, to, to the point of death, even the cruel death of the cross. Wow, when you understand these kind of things, I want you to be able to consider Jesus. He suffered not because he deserved it, but because he was taking our place. And that's why you can say he did it for us. For God so loved the world that he sent Christ to go to the cross. And if you remember, as we were talking on Good Friday, the greatest moment of all time was Jesus hanging there. Now, if you were the Romans or if you were the Pharisees, you might have thought, hey, wow, we finally took care of that guy. No more trouble. But if you're a believer, you realize as you consider Christ hanging there, the only reason that he stayed on that cross was for you and me. Love held him there. When you consider it, remember they mocked him and said, you said you could save others, but you can't save yourself. Wrong. He could. But love held him there. Consider Jesus this morning. Now I want to take you to the third point of the sermon personal application. Consider the plight of God's children in this fallen world. James chapter 5 brings it out for us. And when you look at James chapter 5, uh, you can't help but uh, recognize, he says, behold, we consider those blessed who do what? Who remain steadfast, which endure. It's kind of interesting. James is writing possibly about A.D. 44, A.D. 45. Jesus ascended to heaven probably at A.D. 30, so you have about 15 years, 15 to 20 years. The condition for Christians in that early time was not very good. Not only did they not have the modern conveniences like we have, like running water and flush toilets, but they, they were living with a, with a society that did not favor uh, supporting some guy that died and rose from the dead. They thought you were nuts. If they would have had a, a, a funny farms or asylums, they probably would have put you in them. And some, since they didn't have them, there was some ease to either throwing you in jail or the, actually of ending your life. Persecution was rampant. And the book of James ends up giving us that James is there and he's thought about it. He's considered the situation. And he says, let me tell you, we've considered it, that if you have endured, you are blessed. Sometimes it makes you want to be confused. What? I would consider having like ice cream galore. I'd consider having, you know, a, a place beside the ocean. All these nice things I would like to have. Or if we were in Africa, we might be real happy if we just had internet without having to get the chatterbox. 
you know, that we would have electricity all the time or that we would, we would have all these things that so many people in, in first world countries take for granted. So in order to explain himself, he says to us, if you're considering the endurance as a good thing, he says, let me show you Job. Uh, let me read verse 11 towards the end. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, and the Lord, that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I want you to know that this whole idea about Job is really tough for many of us to grasp. And the reason why we don't do very well with it is because we haven't considered Job. Job is a book we try to avoid. We don't like promoting Job. How many of you came to Christ and said, I want to be like Job? I signed up because I wanted to be like Job. Now, you might do that if you knew the rest of the story. But I'm telling you, if there's anybody that went through a lot of misery in his life, it was him. And that's why I was going to read a little bit of it from Job chapter 1, verse 13. Now, there was a day. This is just telling you the example that, that James is telling you he considers to be blessed. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their, in their oldest brother's house. All this sounds pretty good. Can you imagine having a family that gets along? They're actually enjoying a little bit of wine and a little celebration. This is all great. And there came a messenger to dad, Job. And he said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck them down. Uh, the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Uh-oh. The perfect little world just fell apart. All of, the, all of the mules and donkeys, all the stuff, they've been hijacked, they've been taken, or they've been slaughtered. All the servants have, are, are toast. In verse 16, he, gets, he says, while he was still, while that person was speaking to him about how bad the condition of the farm was, yet he, while he was speaking, there came another, and he said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. I'm telling you, it's almost like fire and brimstone, almost like a volcano must have erupted and it came down and all of his livestock, all the things that he was kind of counting on, they're all dead. Now, verse 17, it says, and while that person was still speaking, I mean, I'm telling you, bang, 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 bang. It comes like a shotgun, not as a single bullet. Uh, verse 17, while that person was still speaking all the bad news, there came another, and he said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and have made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the serpents with the edge of the sword, and I alone have come to tell you. <laughs> I think at this time you almost want to be Job and put your fingers in your ears. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. Calgon, take me away. But verse 18 says that another one came. While he was yet speaking, there came another. Your sons and your daughters, they were eating and drinking at the party at your, at your eldest son's house. And he says, and behold, a great wind came upon them and, and the wilderness, from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people. And they are all dead. I can't even laugh at that. How sad it is when a dad has to go to his son's funeral or daughter's funeral. And all the family died at once. A tornado or cyclone comes through. But consider this. Consider this. That's why I'm doing this with you. James says to believers, consider this. Consider Job. Then Job arose 
And he didn't pretend that it didn't happen. The Bible says that he tore his robe, he shaved his head. Basically, you can say, man, he is, he is deep, he is in deep in this misery. He shows it. He says, man, what do I have to have be happy about? He shaves his head, but he does something that surprises Satan. He gets to the ground, and he looks to God with faith. Consider Job. He wasn't basing his relationship on God with how well his little world is going. Have you ever considered that? Job goes on to say, he says, naked came I in, into this world from my mother's womb. Yeah, he didn't need preschool to tell him any other way. He wasn't hatched. You know, he didn't get delivered by a stork. He knows. He knows about babies being born. He says, I know how I got here. I came with nothing. And then he says, and naked shall I return. And he's considered. He's considered this life. And he knows it's just a, a, a visitation. It's a tent. And then he said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. <laughs> the only thing I can do is laugh. I fall short of this. Do you? He is so considered that the things of this earth are not worthy to be hung on to. You, this is exactly what Paul says about testing the stuff that you have, the, whether it's wood, hay, and stubble, or whether it is, it is gold, whether it's precious jewels that lasts. He says, because the stuff that's going to, to, to not last, it's going to just disappear, it's going to wither away, but the things that are eternal are going to be eternal. And so he says, when you consider Job, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrongdoing. It is so beautiful to recognize Job. And that's why James chapter 5, he says, consider it blessed. Consider those people blessed who have endured like Job has endured. And that's why at the beginning of Job, chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? See, God was telling Satan, you think everybody is just all messed up and screwed up. But Job, he's got a right relationship with me. I've saved him. He says, consider Job. And I believe that's why James brings us back in the New Testament to say the same thing. People, consider Job and understand the nature of suffering and count it all joy. If you go to James chapter 1, verses 3 and following, he says, count it all joy when you go through your various troubles, when you go through this broken world and live the life that God's given you. Consider that God is doing something to work steadfastness in you. He's strengthening your faith, preparing you for your trip to heaven. If I go to finish up with Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. This is, this is Solomon. After he's lived his age, he understands Job too. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and up, uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads pushing you forward. They're like nails firmly fixed are, are, are like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. In other words, you hide these words in your heart that you might not sin, Psalm 119. 
He says, my son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is weariness of the flesh. In other words, he's saying, don't get caught up with all your educational degrees and everything else. That doesn't mean that you're going to get closer to God. The end of the matter is this, verse 13. All has been heard. All has been considered, he says. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. And keep his commandments. I just want to encourage you today. Yes, it is true that your time on this earth is short. How do I know that? James says in chapter 4, what is your life? It's just a vapor that appears for a moment and then is gone. So in James chapter 5, he says, consider Job. Look at this life that you have. The thing we call the dash between when you were born and when you died. That life that you have to live. And he says, wow, God is giving you something to be doing. Consider this and consider this. Consider the birds. Consider the foliage. But consider Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are, this is Hebrews 12, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. <laughs> Just sink that in for a moment. What does he mean by witnesses? Most of the time we think about the saints that have died in the past and we think of their testimonies. But he's also talking about all the things that witness to God's glory. Everything out there to consider. He said there's so many things that you should be considering. Listen to them. He says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely to us. You have any pet sins? You have any things that you don't want to let go? Consider how stupid it is to hang on to them. Repent, turn from them. The way that leads to, the, the, the may be a way that seems right to you, but it'll lead to death and destruction, Proverbs 14, 12. But here the author of Hebrews says, let go of those things. Get rid of the weights that hold you back. And he says, run, run with endurance. Do you see the word endurance? It's a steadfastness. Run, run, run. I almost feel like I'm watching Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest, run. Let us run with endurance, with consideration. The race that God has set before us. Verse 2. With our eyes looking at Jesus. He's the founder. He's the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. He endured. The dash of Jesus' life. Was to take him to Calvary's cross. Not because he deserved it. But because we did. He who knew no sin. Became sin for us that we might have the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there would have been no propitiation. And when we know from the Passover, when he saw the blood, when the Father, the Holy God, saw the blood applied to the doorposts of our hearts, he can pass over us. Consider this, my brothers and sisters. Wow. When I tell you, summer's coming. Mother's Day is next week. We're entering into a warmer season I've been praying for. All of you snowbirds, I've been praying that you bring the warmth with you. Consider 
Jesus. And everything else falls into place. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the good news that I found in the scripture. I thank you that you don't have to turn us into some kind of uh, experts in biology or chemistry or astrology, uh, excuse me, astronomy or any of these other things. Uh, Lord, we can just open our eyes up and we can look at the birds. We can look at the fish. We can look at the, the trees and the flowers. Lord, we can see that you are a great God. We can see your ways. For in all these texts that talk about consider this and consider that, it's always followed up, but there is a God, there is a loving God who takes care of the birds. There's a loving God that brings beauty to those flowers. And there is a loving God who has brought about a, a purpose for pain, and that is to redeem those who are under the curse of the law. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you have revealed this to us by special revelation, by the word of God, and you have begun the work in us, as it says in Philippians 1.6, you've begun the work of faith in us so that we can begin to see. Lord, I pray that we will always have our eyes open to consider these things. In Jesus' name.